This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We listen to Mary Mary, and we're going to talk about it today on Good Christian Fun. My butthole's tingling all the time! <laughs> Do you think you can make us laugh? No, bitch. There's no reason don't work in the park. pop in pussy every day. Yeah! I'm a Christian wife. <laughs> Sicario. I'm a Christian wife. Yeah. White women are notoriously shifty. I'm a Christian wife. You should be upset that I had a laugh with her! Clean up on aisle, but... When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. <laughs> y'all did one the other week because I was playing the Winans episode where oh, y'all yeah. played Will and Jada saying bad marriage for life. Yeah. And that cracked me up. Bad oh marriage for life. We had an entanglement so on the podcast. <laughs> All podcast hosts are in an entanglement. Welcome to Good in Christian Fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. We're here to have um, good I Christian I thought that theme fun. song was going to be like a one-week situation. And oh, no, honey. It's like here to stay. It's here. It's it's all brand new. This is We're accepting and embracing in this country the new normal, and that awful-sounding theme song is a part of it. Uh, I'm scared to make requests again, but if mm-hmm. I could request the one where I'm saying I'm popping pussy every day, that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to take it out? Yes, please. Thank you. Oh, okay. So you want me to take that one out? Kevin? Okay. Okay. Kevin? Monkey's paw curls. No, no, no. Don't make it just a string of that. You auto-tune it to like, let's get it started. <laughs> it's a three and a half minute yeah, song. It's I just want to be able to look my guests in the face a little bit by the end of that song. Oh, know? and it's the best when it's like a, a, a meet cute where it is the first time that we have a long conversation <laughs> with the person that we're talking to. Good Christian Fun is the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture and the movies, the music, and the entertainment made for and made by sometimes Christians. Uh, and we're not here to make fun of you for your beliefs, whatever they may be, unless they're like mean and weird and hateful. And we're not here to make you go to church. We're here to keep you from going to church right now, no matter what phase of reopening that your state is in. We're just here to have fun at a, at a safe six-foot distance from That's our right. faith. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, the resurgence of house church, but, you know, like... A literal house church, or it's just whoever's in your house safely. Hey, can I can I tell you about my house church? Yeah, <laughs> I pray to Hugh Laurie every night, <laughs> and isn't that lovely? That it's, lovely? It's it's fun to think about how popular a show that was for so long. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about house. We're talking about Mary Mary. I couldn't find the I transition. Know, I was like, what could it be? <laughs> <laughs> There's probably a character named Mary on Speaking one of the Speaking of someone who couldn't find show. a house to give birth um, to Jesus, Mary. Hey, Mary, Mary freaking Mary. Uh, we're here to talk about them 
of the uh, of the infamous shackles. We've talked about infamous. them before. Yeah, well, on this podcast, sure. We've been talking about it for, I feel like, three years. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was the first song where that you didn't hate and spit but out of your mouth means immediately. Like it means it's famous for the wrong reasons. Like, it's bad famous. They are, like, famous, famous for I understand. It's kind of, like, good. notorious. Yes, <laughs> I, I feel that. Then uh, also of the uh, the famous I Love God, which was an Erica uh. Campbell special from a couple years ago. Uh, but to do this, we're going to need... A special help from a special friend who's our special guest. Friends and folks, he's special. He's from NPR. You may know him as the host of It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. Everybody give it the hell up for Sam Sanders! Wow. I've never had an introduction like that, and I freaking love it. Wow. That's amazing. That's that's all we're looking for is that kind of like uh, constant validation from our guests. Like, is this weird thing we do okay? Is this weird thing we do okay? Is this also okay and not off-putting? So, so y'all are great. doing okay. Hey, and and you, you like Amy Grant, right? You, 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 you've listened oh, to yeah. her. Okay. I love her. Okay. Now she, but she was... She was she, drama because she like went secular for a bit and mm-hmm. everyone was like you can't do that yeah but she did not to mention the divorce it worked out for her uh well, who was she with was it vince gill gary chapman was her first husband Shit. and okay, then vince sorry. gill was her second husband yes gotcha yes you can and have more than one husband it's her, allowed. her third husband who could it you know it could Kevin be any T. Porter. of us. <laughs> yeah, it could be any of us. Fingers crossed. A volunteer's tribute. We'll see. <laughs> She'd sing to me every night. There's a lot. Hey, there's a lot of things we none of us had on our 2020 bingo cards. <laughs> Kevin T. Porter becomes Amy Grant's third husband. It may be one of them. We'll, we'll find you out. You start mailing her so, get well fun. cookies for her. <laughs> surgery (laughs) yeah with like crudely drawn like icing faces on them (laughs) and then it's like one of them's cute and it's like oh yeah that does kind of look like my album cover but then by like the third batch it's like me and her holding hands by the leg and she's like i don't like this i don't want this i don't want this (laughs) this isn't what anybody wants i'm gonna open the back flap of my boots because this is really creepy visuals i know that the listeners can't so hilariously startling It's incredible. It's weird, huh? It's incredible. So, fun fact that the listeners probably don't know, I record all of my podcast stuff in this little box that you can put your head in. It's called an isovox, and it's a sound muffling box that's a little bit bigger than your head. It's on a podium. You stand up, and your head's inside of it. But you're in a black box while you record, and so y'all are seeing me right now with my head in a box. It's yes. not It's not cute. <laughs> and in the dark, it did look very coffin-like. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to be standing for the duration of this episode? I always stand. Wow. Since the pandemic, wow. I've been standing. So um, I used to only use this box to record quick stuff from home without having to go into the office. But after the pandemic hit and I was stuck at home to record everything, I tried a few setups. For a while, I was recording underneath my, my dining room table, and that was cramping the diaphragm. So now I just stand, and it you know it helps with the uh, with the air. I stuff. do wonder if it would give you more energy. I, I've I've done a few where it's like, oh, this has gone on really long, and like an hour, two or three, I'll stand up and and prop the mic stand mm-hmm. up. But I wonder. I wonder, uh, maybe there's some like scientific experiment we could do, Caroline, where we try to record an episode standing the whole time. And that, it's like that, I mean, that's better. a whole second service premise, Kevin. Listen, I mean, let's milk this baby for all it's worth. <laughs> what if we do that <laughs> one time thing. and our listenership like triples overnight? <laughs> it's like, I was just standing. All oh, they wanted that, were that more was, endurance tests. Up. 
Well, I'm also surprised you don't do this normally, Kevin, and then like get a few extra steps in while you're berating me, you know, or like going to town on Amy Grant. Like that would you- be amazing. <laughs> don't love that phrase. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't feel I don't feel like I berate you for that. Sam, I, I do try to get my steps in every day. How many and, steps should you get a day? Um, so far I'm at eighteen thousand five hundred and twenty nine. Christ. <laughs> Let me tell you mine. Hold on, that's a lot. Ooh, I am at This is fun, isn't it, Caroline? <laughs> oh, I suck. I'm at eleven thousand and two hundred and forty three. Ooh, yes. Ugh, you and, beat me. Anything Tragic. that's you know, over ten thousand before a certain hour of the day, I think it's terrific. I think it's great. Okay. Okay. My Caroline, what about you? Hilarious. <laughs> Let's just say I am sheltering in place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's a civic duty allowed. situation. <laughs> it really allowed. is. She's yeah, saving the world. I am staying She's inside. Saving the world. I'm staying put. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mm-hmm. my first two thousand I got from indoor dining in downtown Los Angeles. My second three thousand <laughs> I got from licking doorknobs and uh, going down the halls, yelling of Home at Depot. store clerks. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Today. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invite. I'm oh, honored. We're so thrilled to have you. We'd we'd love to hear about your your history uh, with religion, with faith, with what you call God. And I do believe we share at least one thread of it together in that uh, we're both from Texas. Yes, we are. I'm from San Antonio, the superior Texas city. Well, Seguin, Texas to be exact, but I claim San Antonio so okay. folks understand. You're from Houston? Houston, that's right. We're the town I'm that sorry. gave you Beyonce, Renee Zellweger, and Alexis <laughs> Bledel, the holy trinity of entertainment. Ah, well, y'all also gave us Westheimer. Yeah, the worst that's street fair. in America. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely fair. Sam, what's like be, with you being here? What's like the stereotype of people from Houston? <laughs> okay, I think like in general, everyone in Texas who doesn't live in Houston is always like to folks that are there, they're kind of like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's it's too much traffic. It's too sticky. I don't get (laughs) it. It's, ooh, it's crazy. And like whenever I go there, I'm just like, people stay here. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> well, their shoes are stuck My to the ground. My uncle actually lives there. and I, Exactly. I will say, you know, it's it, it's it's like secretly this gem of a city. Or maybe not too secret. It's full of people now. But the food scene is pretty awesome. The art scene is pretty awesome. The music it's scene just, is pretty wild. I mean, it's. Yeah, I feel like it has yeah. a lot to offer the culture. I feel okay. like. Okay. You're really trying to save it for Houston. I see <laughs> you. <laughs> we gave you Joel Osteen, sir. Cut oh, to Kevin's yeah. music scene. like when he lived in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) I like Joel Osteen because Joel Osteen gave us Israel Houghton. That's true. Mm -hmm. He's very good. I remember that. Houston's weird. That was the best part. I I did do a summer internship at Lakewood Church for a media credit. Really? I did do that uh, because I knew one of the guys who was working there doing media because it's, you know, it was essentially like a television internship because of the production. Oh, yeah. Because it was like a eight camera shoot every Sunday Mm -hmm. morning for every service. And one of the best parts of it was Israel Houghton's music. And in yeah. in his playing throughout, because uh, he would it was do good. the worship services, and he lived in the same suburbs I lived in, in at the time, which is Kingwood, Texas, a little bit north. Okay. Of, okay. Of Houston. Well, yeah. What was the song he had that every? Oh my God! Every everyone's church choir sang it. Friend of God. 
I am a friend of God. Of God. Yeah. He uh-huh. called me friend. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does he call you friend? That's the question. <laughs> he does. He does. I don't know what he calls me or if he calls me at all <laughs> anymore to be frank. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, how'd you grow up? How'd you grow up in San Antonio with religion? Uh, I grew up really religious. So my mother uh, is one of six kids of a Baptist preacher who lived in Birmingham, Texas. So she grew up going to church and she was raised Baptist with the rest of her siblings. But then her and my Aunt Betty ran off to the Pentecostal church when they were in high school and like got the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, Holy Ghost. And after that, they were born again Christians. And my mother came out to Texas for college and she found, you know, Pentecostal apostolic churches there. And we grew up in one, you know, we grew up in three churches growing up, my brother and I. But we ended up in the one that we stayed at the longest when I was probably nine or ten. So the first church was Refuge Apostolic Church in Seguin. The second was Bethel Pentecostal Church. And then we ended up at First Apostolic Church in Lockhart, Texas. And it was the... It was the most churchy of the churches that we'd gone to, and we stayed there for, uh, that's still kind of my church, you know. But it was everything. It was you know, very charismatic. Everyone was speaking in tongues, loud music influenced by like the blues. Uh, people were falling out and shouting. Church lasted three or, three or four hours some Sundays. It was the kind of church where on fifth Sundays, just because it was a fifth Sunday, they'd have a second service in the evening, because <laughs> why not? <laughs> It, it was just church on church a bonus on church. Sunday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my mother, she had been playing the piano since she was a kid, so she became the church organist, which means that she was basically at the church whenever the doors were open, which meant that my brother and I were basically at the church whenever the doors were open. So there'd be some summers where we'd be in church five or six times a week because there was Tuesday night testimonial, Wednesday night midweek, Thursday night service, Friday night service, and then Sunday service, and sometimes a second. And so I was always in church. And then before you knew it, by the time I was 13 or 14, I was playing the saxophone in the church band. And it was one of those church bands where it was very much like, it, it was a blues band. No one read music. We all played by ear <laughs> and we played the blues. They called us the posse. It was, it was straight up, it was hilarious. But we just played like- gr- Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> the posse? We would, like, it was like Blues Brothers every Sunday at church. Oh it was super gosh. fun. We had a horn section. I was one of four horn players in the church band. And it was such a big part of my life, I ended up majoring in music in college because I thought I was going to do that for my life. And then I was like, oh, they don't pay that. They don't get that. They got to make money, you know? So church was big for me. Uh, and I was very much a church kid. I... I did all the things, you know, I was, I was, I was up there at the altar praying and speaking in tongues and doing this and doing that. And for a while people were like, you're going to be a minister. And then I was like, no, I'm not. But I was very much a church kid. Like it's hard to overstate how much of a church kid I was. It is funny for, for kids who do grow up in the church that, that clearly do have like yourself gifts of communication at all, because it it's <laughs> just in the kind of like binary, the dichotomy of how people think about it. It's like, well, clearly you're going to be a pastor, right? Like it's always <laughs> the first yeah. thought of like what your job could oh, possibly yeah. be rather than like journalism or any <laughs> other sort of like communications work. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, like if you're a 12 year old boy that can form complete sentences and can like talk to adults and like hold their gaze, they're like, oh, you've got it. You've got the gift. <laughs> this you need to be man a preacher. Has something. This boy is <laughs> exactly. on the path. Yeah, like he oh yeah. Got it. Oh yeah. I was. 
I was I was prophesied to once or twice and told that I was going to use these gifts for God and the church or whatever. And now I work for, you know, secular Satan, NPR. Basically. <laughs> yeah, it's no, I actually I was going to congratulate you guys on making Satan the new CEO of NPR. I know that was yeah. like, it was a reckoning yeah. that was, you know, bound to happen. It took so many point. blood sacrifices, but we did it. It's called the new perdition road, I think is what NPR <laughs> Oh, wow. NPR, uh-huh. Caroline, good grief. It took me a while. I was Love while you guys were talking, Love I was it. sitting here like <laughs> New Perdition <laughs> Road. Great. That was good. Um, how did you know for sure though, even at that time, that you didn't want to be a minister? I wanted to be one for a while. I think I want I think church was gonna be my life for a long time. And then and it's like, you know, I always knew I was gay, but like around high school I was like, We're gonna have to figure this out. <laughs> I think that like when you're when you're like 12 or 13 in the church and you're starting to have sexual feelings like all 12 year olds have, you kind of just assume like, well, that'll go away. I will uh, do what all my friends are doing at church and, you know, get a girlfriend and then get married and life will be good. And then like by high school, I was like, oh, this will um, there's a fork in the road somewhere here. (laughs) And and I got a and I followed the penis, you know, and it was just like kind of like I. I um there's a very weird was... fork in the road. A very shaped in a strange Yeah, very misshapen. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, I understand. Why it. does that fork have a foreskin on it? What? Okay. It's kind of one I'll direction. <laughs> but yeah, like I kind of just like by the time that I was like in my early 20s, I began to just kind of slowly pull away from the church because I realized I was going to have to figure out how to be gay, and I did not have the energy to like not be gay for the rest of my life just so I can go to church. And I think I should be clear here, like I grew up in one of those churches where officially on the books, the doctrine said, you know, you can't be gay. But like, I remember the choir director when I was a kid, he was hella gay. I remember myself, like you could tell I was gay and I was still very accepted by my church, right? And so there was this, it was an interesting dichotomy like on the one hand, the church on paper was homophobic, but on the other hand, it was the one place that I could be as a young gay kid who was a big old nerd and gangly and like be accepted. Like everyone had to be nice to everyone there because it's church, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, and like, like they weren't gonna bully you up... for being who you exactly. were. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and my friends that I grew up with in church, like I, call them my cousins to this day, like they're a family, you know? And so it wasn't like I had hard feelings not going to church anymore. Like it wasn't, no one was like, you can't come here anymore. No one ever, right? I just kind of was like, it'd be easier to figure this out outside of this space for a while, you know? Totally, yeah. And I imagine too, at that point, you were like probably pretty burnt out. Like just that many hours logged in that place too. Oh my God. Even however much you loved it, like it's just, it's just too much, you know? It's a lot. Well, like at a certain point, you've heard all the sermons. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's no new sermon to be say, heard. Like, you literally heard like not even just the Sunday, but the Bible study sermon and the kids' yeah. sermon, and, like every kind, every variation. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, there's nothing new, right? I, I think like I miss some music the most. Like, I miss there. There's something about coming together with musicians to like you know having a jam band period is fun but when you have a band that only plays by ear that has to follow the flow of the service and the flow of the spirit in that space it is a really unique and rewarding challenge like when you have to be the soundtrack for jesus every sunday 
that's cool and that's an honor you know and i miss that i think for me growing up when i I think back on it and even now like probably the way that i prayed really prayed was through music like that's how i talked to god you know so that i miss totally and yeah i i remember having a little bit of experience of that too growing up in houston uh, there was an assembly god church that i went to that wasn't uh wasn't predominantly black but it, it was pretty spread across and and that included the band as well and it was one of those bands yeah. rather than like okay here are the words and here's the programming it was something where everyone's just kind of looking at each other the whole time like are we gonna yeah we're we going into this and they're or vibing we off this? of each other yeah yeah and it's like a very specific prompt that i think musicians in particular really enjoy as a challenge rather than just like can you hit the notes and here's the four four time but actually like okay can you can you truly read the room can you read each other can yes. you read the yes. the worship leader whoever they are mm-hmm. if they start wilding out so and that's yes. yeah that's not a context that's like often recreated in other parts of life i, I don't yeah. think well, well you're like doing a film score in real time like if the church wow, service is yeah. the movie You've got to score it because mm-hmm. you're not just doing music when it's time to sing. You're doing music under the offering. You're doing music under people talking. You're doing music when there's the altar call at the end. Like you are, you are, you are providing a, a musical narrative to like the flow of the service, which is just really cool. So that I miss, you know. And like I'll still find myself some nights on YouTube when I can't sleep. Like there's like a whole weird subcategory of YouTube videos of really, really great church organists showing off during offering. Because <gasps> like when it's offering in church, the organist can just That's go to town. <laughs> and there's a few where they're just like doing it and like the ushers will stop taking the offering and be like, yeah! And I'm like, oh, I missed that. I, I never that. think of organists showing off unless it's at a baseball game and it's like, oh, they know that song no. too? can I send you one? Can Please, I send you a- absolutely. I will send you guys a few because they get into it. I also have a special place in my heart for church organists because my mother was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the music is, is what I miss the most. I think at some point I end up back in a church, but I've been too lazy to look. <laughs> yeah, because you you kind of, uh, how would you say, fell away from God's grace in your 20s. <laughs> and, yeah, as we all do, yeah. And then, yeah. And, and then what did faith look like for you? Was it just missing the element of organization and the weekly ritual and rhythm of going to a church service? Or did your actual view of God shift as well? Yeah, you know, I kept waiting to stop believing in God. I never did. I kept being like, all right, at some point, I guess I'd do this whole atheist stuff. And then I would never felt that. And I was always like, no, I'm still up there. I see you. Hi. What, um, what kept yeah. you back in? What, what kept you sticky with it? You know, I had a really rough few years when I turned 18. So I finished high school when I was 17 in 2002. And I was supposed to, that fall, supposed to go from Shirts, Texas to Stanford University. I'd, I, I'd gotten in, gotten some decent money to go. And my parents were like, do it go forth and I was like oh my god I'm gonna be free of Texas and my family and and everything I just I, I can make myself new right and the summer before I was supposed to go within the span of two months uh my father developed in-stage kidney failure and my mother had a massive stroke that paralyzed her left side and by August of my senior year after I'd graduated they both were in the in the hospital at the same time, and I was just like, I can't go anywhere. So I took a year off to take care of them, and I thought I would go back to Stanford, but as the year dragged on, taking care of them became a full-time job, and it just got even bleaker. Like, Thanksgiving of that year, 
they both were on two different floors of the same hospital. And my aunt and I ate Thanksgiving dinner in the hospital cafeteria. It was the worst. And then by December 15th of that year, my dad died. Uh, and it was awful because after he died, my mother was in no shape to get his affairs together. So like I had to close down the family businesses and write his obit and plan the funeral. And it was just like the worst year. That's like, like an 18 year old the worst figuring year. that out. Yeah, yeah. And I remember in the midst of the year, the only thing that really like gave me solace was having my church friends that were there to be very supportive and just praying. Like I prayed so much and it was just this, I don't know if any prayers were answered because the year was still pretty shitty, but I know that when I prayed, I just didn't feel alone. And ever since then, I'm kind of just like, I think I'll always believe in God because it's better to believe that there's someone there with you than to believe that no one's there with you. And so that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing really more profound than that. It's just when I was in this place for a year, basically, where I felt very alone, I could always pray. And it felt like I was talking to someone. And I still feel that way. And so the way that I conceptualize God has changed. What it means to be a believer for me has changed over time. But this like intrinsic belief that when you are a believer, you aren't alone. I like that. And I keep that. And that's why. Yeah. I, I did want to ask you what prayer looked like for you now, because I feel like so much of the common narrative, and as we talk to more and more people on this show, there's threads of commonality that start to form over time. And one of them is like, I still pray, but it looks like this now, or I still do this thing, but my intention is so much different. So, so for you, I, I'd love to know how prayer in 2020, and even especially with pandemic stuff in 2020 specific stuff does look different than how it might've functioned when you were an 18 year old kid. I think it's twofold. I think one, you know, I started to meditate pretty seriously when I was covering the 2016 campaign because I almost lost my mind being a campaign in bed. It's just like, it's the worst and best existence for like a year of your life. And the only way to get through it is like through a lot of help. And so I began to meditate a lot. And I realized when I would start to meditate, like I did the thing where I was like, do a 10 minute thing, then do 15. Without fail, halfway through meditating, I would want to just pray. So I'd be like, okay, I, I can pray too. Uh, that's fine. And so now it's like half meditation, half prayer. But the prayer, whenever it happens, is pretty informal. It's kind of just like, okay, God, that's uh, this thing. You know, I'm dealing with this stuff, right? And so usually, though, I try to not ask for stuff. I try to ask for, like, growth, you know? Like, if I feel like I'm doing bad in a certain part of my life or like not being the best person I can be with my coworkers or my friends or my neighbors or my loved ones or whatever. It's like, how can I work on myself to be a better person? And I'll like try to unpack that stuff through my prayer, you know? And usually what ends up happening is like, a lot of times, you know what it is? A lot of times it's me telling God the self-discovery I experienced in therapy last week. <laughs> and being like, God, you know what I think? My therapist says this. Do you agree? We should uh, talk this over. Yeah. Let me know how you're feeling. <laughs> it's the final yeah. therapy pass. It's the confirmation. Exactly. Exactly. But it is it it is very kind of it's it's prayer that is just like a emotional check in. Like I don't ask for shit. I I, I try not to. You know. Um, yeah. It's funny th saying that now. Gosh, maybe I should just pray for God to end the pandemic. God, if you're listening. 
do it. Yeah, Sam, if great. you could have been doing that like for a while, that would have been really cool. <laughs> LA would be in better shape. I'll tell you that much. Holding out on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> God, you out there in this? In Can this I ask play. A, a question? Well, on that note, like, do you? When you pray, do you feel like God still does intervene in your life and like either bring growth or bring people into your life or change your perspective? Or is it is it maybe more of a practice of like when I say these things out loud, that's like helps me process through and like confirm what I what I already believe? I think a lot of my experience with God over the years has become a lot more internal. Mm. And so like I don't they don't pay me enough to figure out how God is working out in the world. I don't know. I don't know what, what they're doing. I, I actually don't know. Like, mm-hmm. maybe God is really into drag race and is trying to make sure a certain queen wins. I don't know how God's spending their supposed time. supposed to get all his power on that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Makes sense. But I, yeah. But I do know that, like, my relationship with God is one that's very intimate and personal. And usually the parameters of that relationship are in matters of the heart and spirit and soul within me. Mm-hmm. And so I try to see God manifesting through me just like being a little more whole, a little more sane, a little more rational, a little more kind, a little more loving, you know? And mm-hmm. so like when I'm praying for stuff, it's kind of just like, Lord, help me be a nice, even keeled adult who is good to people. Mm-hmm. That is, and, and, and like, that's where I can see the growth and, when, and, 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 and that's where I want the growth in that relationship. I also think that like for me, a lot of the work right now is like, looking for opportunities to see God, right? So prayer is not just praying to God. Prayer is seeing the beautiful things all around us every day that are an expression of the divine, you know? So sometimes a really good hug is God. Sometimes a beautiful bouquet of flowers is God. Sometimes the perfect song coming on on the car radio at the perfect moment is God. And so, I try to like notice those things more and just in those moments say, thanks God, that's, that's great. Oh my God, it's a rainbow. Love you, man, really nice. You know, like how can I see those things? And that for me is just as powerful as prayer. Um, yeah, so yeah that is, kind of gratitude it, of the mundane is such a like exactly. powerful centering yeah. tool. Yeah, well, and also like none of it was ever mundane. Like how the hell are we all here? And everything just goes on. And we're just like, yep, this is what we do. It's billions of us on this like rock mm-hmm. figuring shit out. None of it's mundane. It's all profound. You know, it, it's all miraculous. And so like, how can I have that? How can I have that view of creation where I can, you know, respect these miracles every day? That is prayer. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm really struck too in your work, something that I think makes it pretty singular, and especially like compared to common perception of media or journalism and maybe even like down to what the NPR brand is, is that you do maintain a pretty consistent sense of wonder in its expression of faith and religion that it's still like very much a part of it's been a minute. It's very much a part of a lot of the interviews and the talks and the conversations that you have on the show. You've even gotten to talk to like icons like Kirk Franklin, who of course have very like (laughs) direct involvement in this world and and in ideas of faith and religion, but also like imbue it and kind of thread it in other parts of the work too. And and I'm wondering what what the motivating factors were for that to want to make it a part of that sort of work. Yeah, you know, for me, it was kind of just, I think there's a larger conversation 
at NPR happening that kind of explains why you hear more of that in my show. So for the longest time, the mode of NPR and how it operated was that every on-air personality was pretty much not personality less, but like they didn't overdial the personality. They they were kind of there to be the deliverer of the news and not the story themselves. So it was it was not at all a personality driven medium. NPR, you had a lot of correspondents and reporters and hosts who were almost interchangeable, and it was supposed to be that way because no one person is bigger than the company, and it's not about us, it's about the news, et cetera. And so I was trained up when I got to NPR first 10 years ago. They wouldn't, the rule back in the day was we couldn't say I in our stories. So like if I was doing a straight ahead news story, I couldn't be like, and then I went to police headquarters. You're supposed to say, at police, court, at police headquarters, Officer X said. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, there was this gradual shift towards letting hosts and on-air folks have personality. In part, I think it was driven by the podcast you know, revolution. You had all these podcasts become hits where they were partly hits because like, you liked that person who was hosting it. you know. And so as that became ascendant, NPR kind of became a little more accepting of like hosts with personality. And so when I launched this show, after having done the politics podcast, which I hosted for about a year and a half, two years during the campaign season last cycle, the goal was, all right, this will be the first crop of new shows where we let the hosts just be personalities. And they told me walking in, like, you be you, be more than you would be like on the news side, you know, covering politics or whatever. Like we want to see if this can work for us. And so I've been part of the first crop of literally personality-driven shows at NPR, and it's been fun because they just let me say anything. I mean, well, they don't let me say anything, but <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's like I've realized over time that like, oh yeah, I could just talk about this. So like there, was, there were these moments in the show early on where I would realize as the episodes went on for It's Been a Minute, there were some listeners who didn't realize until episode 17 that I'm black. And there were some listeners who didn't realize for like a year or two that I'm gay. And then there's some that didn't realize for like seven or eight months that I'm a Christian. And I'm kind of like, oh, I love that. I love it. Let them all <laughs> discover it. That is, that's just like a mind fuck. Maybe I'm uh, a little different than what you expected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's been like exciting. And I think it's, it's, it, it's entirely a sign of the times because had I started a show at NPR like this one 10 years ago it wouldn't sound like that so i'm 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 happy to be here now doing this as opposed to 10 years ago totally and it feels like that was probably a lot of the, the philosophy that animated even just little details like the cover art changing so you're actually your face is a part of it that's yeah, not just like, like a hey generic, guys it's like this is the gentleman who is hosting <laughs> this particular me. show <laughs> yeah yeah well and then also it's like I, I think part of why you were saying it sounds like i'm always excited about the stuff it's like well, that's because we only do what I'm excited about. <laughs> like, we don't because this because the show gets to be personality driven. We can just say like, Sam's not feeling that. We're not going to talk about it. Sorry. Like I, I think that like like this is a weekend show. It's one hour out of the week. It's not you know morning edition. We don't have to talk about everything. Mm-hmm. We talk about fun shit. We talk about shit that I'm into, and uh, you know so that means that there's a lot of talk about God and you know music and all the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Does it feel weird to be one of like maybe part of the first crop of hosts that engenders that kind of audience specifically? So it's not like, oh, I love this this kind of brand or this kind of format, but 
that people might feel more of a personal connection to you as like, I mean, a host? I think it's job security. <laughs> like, if they ever fire me, I'm like, ah, my, my followers know me. Uh, but no, it, it's fun to see the network change. Like, I think back on what I did with the politics podcast when I was there with them and what I'm doing now with this show. You hear some of our little stylistic nods sprinkling through other parts of the network. And mm -hmm. what I hope is that letting me have this crazy wacky ass show on the weekends allows the rest of NPR to loosen its tie and kind of take its shoulders down a bit and just like have a good fucking conversation. You know, like we were, we, we as a network, we're so obsessed with always being right, always being the voice of God, never pissing off anybody. And now it's kind of like, are you interesting? And do you have a good story to tell? That's it. Go ahead. And so to the extent that I'm a part of that change at the network, I'm honored and grateful and, 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 and happy. I mean, I think that institutionally NPR, like a lot of other places, has to figure out what it wants to be. This idea that any place in this political climate can be, if not appealing, um, unassailable to all sides, that's impossible. Yeah. And I think places like NPR are gonna have to uh, draw some more lines in the sand about what they will or won't do or say, especially in the context of our national politics right now. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. They don't pay me enough to make those choices, but I don't envy all of our VPs and CEO people who have to make those calls. But it's, I think it's a hard time to be NPR as an institution. It's not mm -hmm. hard for me, because I'm just one part of it, and, I, and I've carved out this space where I can just be as wacky as I wanna be, but it is interesting to see what happens to a brand like NPR, which for so long has been so um, above the fray, I guess. No one can be above the fray these days. You're yeah. in it. We're in the fray. How do you act accordingly? Uh, well, Sam, if you would like to spearhead the TikTok uh, for NPR, I think that might be the way to go, and I would be happy to help. And uh -huh. I think that is future of news. <laughs> Have you seen the Planet Money TikTok? No, I haven't. So, so Planet Money is NPR's economics podcast, and they got, I mean, this kid is 12, I swear. <laughs> he now, like, runs a Planet Money TikTok, and he's no good way. at it, but it makes me feel so old. Because, you know, the kids, they, they do this stuff. It, it, it looks purposefully rough around the edges, and it looks weird and strange on purpose. Yeah. And it's like the whole aesthetic of Gen Z is, like, oh my gosh, anyone who's over 30. Yes. But they're doing that with a TikTok, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, it. so his came up on my feed like uh, through the random, you know, algorithm uh -huh. the other day. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh this yeah. guy's strange. But wow, mm -hmm. he's like very on point. <laughs> yeah, I, I love yeah. the I love the optics of Caroline as a thirty year old woman saying I could be your TikTok consultant. I'll do the TikTok. <laughs> Let's just say I'm like plugged in, right in the culture. Yeah. These are my people. Yeah. We are the same age. We are finishing high school. Yeah, it's been hard to do school in quarantine. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Caroline, I don't know. Finishing your high school degree, it would distance wise, is not fun. I, I, yeah. I, my heart goes out to you it freaking sucked yeah prom it was yeah it's been tough but mm -hmm. i'm figuring mm -hmm. it out <laughs> you do know that like the high school seniors this year they finished high school as the pandemic hits and they began high school during the most contentious awful election in 2016 yeah. i did not even track awful. that that's yeah that yeah. four-year gap like they Those are bookends. just bookending their yeah. high school mm -hmm. with like well also it's like how how will they take it out on their kids you know their kids are gonna have so much trauma like, imagine being a wow. parent of your kids going to high school after you had the shitty high school experience of right now. 
You'd be like, yeah. well, you don't need to go to prom because I didn't go, motherfucker. You don't need I to go to anything. I didn't even think about that because we home. think like every generation gets like softer and softer with their parenting. No. But when you live through like real dark yeah. stuff, you're like, <laughs> yes. get over it. <laughs> yeah. Everyone who has kids after the pandemic is going to raise their kids like depression era parents. Yeah, oh, fully. Seriously. Yeah, because yeah. it's not going to be the like the old tale of like we walked to school back and forth <laughs> five miles in the snow. No shoes. It's going to be like. I couldn't hug my mom for three years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I had to go to Whole Food five days in a row to get a sourdough starter together. <laughs> you don't know what I've been through. And yeah, you again, don't like, know. Some of the hardest, just like the depression. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is true suffering. <laughs> they'll be like, get an A in your class because you can even mm-hmm. go to class. You know, exactly. Like, I don't even get to you do can that look at your yeah. teacher in the eye. You yeah, know, I would have <laughs> killed for that. <laughs> to say yeah, fuck yeah. you over Zoom. Uh-huh. <laughs> you get to yeah. do it in person. My graduation was a drive through <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, I can't wait for the next hardened generation of children uh, to rise They're going to be amazing. Exactly. And destroy Gen <laughs> Z yes. and just like eviscerate millennials as well. Well, yeah, Sam, yeah, thanks yeah. so much for sharing your story, man. That was really great to hear. Of course. Yeah, Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Good Christian Fun. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by AuraFrames. That is right. Uh, From grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an AuraFrame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these AuraFrames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an AuraFrame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HEADGUM at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time to dive into the topic. Come on, let's go. Now, growing up, Sam, um, you played saxophone in the church band, but then otherwise, what was your, before we get to Mary Mary, what was your consumption of, of Christian pop culture, music, gospel, pop, CCM, otherwise? What was that like? So my mother's house was a 
Jesus music only house. So a lot of gospel music. We listened to a lot of gospel choirs growing up, a lot of gospel quartets and, and quintets. My mother was obsessed with the Canton Spirituals, obsessed with Shirley Caesar, obsessed with the Mississippi Mass Choir, obsessed mm -hmm. with everything the Hawkins did, everything the Winans did. So I had that growing up. But I also was this kid who was like, I, I grew up on VH1. I was of that age where like VH1 was perfect in the mid to late 90s. Like it was either music videos all day or behind the music all day. And so you got this music education that was phenomenal. And so I remember watching a ton of VH1 and sneaking to go buy CDs that were secular as a kid. So in like middle school or high school, when my mom would drag my brother and I to the mall, cause she, she's going to Lane Bryant, she's getting some new dresses. And as she would go to Lane Bryant, I would go to Sam Goody, I'd buy some CDs and I would hide them in the back of my pants and my underwear to sneak them home and I yeah and I would listen to them uh in the bathroom because that door had a lock and my bedroom didn't have a lock because I was so afraid of being discovered playing secular music at home was this on but a portable cd player yes it okay. was a Great. sony silverish looking thing disc man and I remember yeah. Uh -huh. yeah I remember um like I would discover these like great pieces of like music history alone in my bathroom. Like I remember discovering Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions in eighth grade and I would go sit in the bathroom for hours just to play that album. And my mom was either like, either he has like GI issues or he is just jacking off a whole bunch. But what the fuck is that kid doing in there? But I was learning my musics. Yeah. You were just listening to like gorgeous music. <laughs> You're yeah. just like, yeah. something's yeah. wrong with his yeah. body. Like it's it's wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Very superstitious. Knock knock knock. I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> Mom. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. need to finish. Yeah. Your exactly. Well, and then what was also fun? By the time I was in high school playing with the church band, and I was doing so before high school. But in high school, this was like Neo Soul's moment, and so you had artists like. D'Angelo and Jill Scott and Maxwell and Erica Badu making like really great stuff. Uh, some of the guys in the church band and me, we would like sneak in riffs of those songs into the church. Music. Ah, I love that so much. There was a good year or two where we would sneak in D'Angelo riffs into all the songs we played in church and no one knew it. We were like, we got over on them. We did it. <laughs> I feel like people still do that, by the way. Oh, I yeah. feel like in, oh, yeah. in or like straight up in some churches I've been to, they'll just play that song. Oh, they'll play that they song. Like they'll play that song. Where the streets Please. have no name or whatever. I've heard Blackbird <laughs> yes. in, a, in, a, in a Sunday service before. You know, really? Nature, yeah. Mm -mm. I love it. Do you I guys remember, it. by the way, this is kind of a side thing, but do you remember the first physical CD that you ever bought? I remember that before we ended up at the church, we were at for the longest time. One of the churches before that was a little less strict about secular music, and they allowed you to listen to it. And one Christmas when I was in maybe second or third grade, my mother and my Aunt Alta, they got me Boys to Men, Cooley High Harmony, and the first SWV album. And they let me keep Boys to Men, but a week or so after giving me the SWV album, they heard that song Downtown, which is all about oral sex, and they were like, give us that CD back. We're taking it back from you. <laughs> So I got to keep the boys to men one, but SWB had to go. A so return funny. policy. Like, what? It's just yeah. about the urban center. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first Caroline that you bought with your own money? I, 
Oh, I was, I'm truly racking my brain. I'm not sure if I ever bought a CD now that I think about it because wow. uh, I feel like my sister who was six years older than me bought a lot and then she she brought home like this just like huge album of CDs and a lot of them were mixtapes that her college friends had made. So I felt like that was like where I found music. Like people would give them to me. My mom would buy CDs and they would end up being like really good artists and she picked them off the album cover i'm not kidding <laughs> like like that's wow. how i learned about like the format and i think even rufus wainwright or something but anyway so i don't i don't know if i like did cds as a kid i think eventually i got on streaming so soon so oh, know. you know it, it goes back to the fact that you are class of 2021 yeah, i'm a it's, digital native yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah i that am you would completely just like leapfrog one that. zeros ones and zeros yeah i don't even know what mm-hmm. a walkman is anymore I think I think my first my first secular one that I remember for sure was not the first one, not Jagged Little Pill, but Alanis Morissette's sophomore album, supposed Ooh, former with the long title. Yeah, supposed former infatuation junkie, and I remember buying that it from was a not Walmart. A good album. I'm sorry. There's Ooh. there's a few good songs on it, but it is mostly like obtuse poetry, and yeah, it was. Oh that's no! And you're like a, trying to listen really hard. I'm like, this is proven. But I mean, because it was my first like non-Christian stuff, I was like, what's this? This is cool, and so I was like, thank you, Andy. Yeah, like that was appealing <laughs> at the time. Uh, it would not age as, as appealing. I still yeah. like thank you, though. Funny. I will say, this is a weird tick of mine. Not weird. Awesome. Every long road trip I do, at some point, I play Jag a Little Pill in its entirety on the road. Damn. And that motherfucker still holds up. Oh, it absolutely. So good. Every song. Every song. Oh, and she knows. There is, uh, or there was, Jagged Little Pill on Broadway. And my thought is, like, with any of those jukebox musicals, especially with her catalog, it's like, what are the other songs besides, like, that album? Like, is it the the hands clean one with the weird intergenerational romances? I know. I know. It's just Jagged Little Pill. (laughs) Well, this is also the thing, and this is really a digression. She she made all of Jagged Little Pill with what's his name Glenn Ballard, mm-hmm. one yep. of the great songwriters of his generation, and they just like locked and loaded. They were so in sync. They made beautiful art together, and I think there's this thing that happens where you kind of think you can do it alone, and it's like maybe you mm-hmm. can't. Yeah, maybe songwriters are good at their jobs because they're good at their jobs. It's and like they, Elton without Toppin. It's like. Uh, Wes Anderson without without Owen Wilson. Taylor without Jack. (laughs) I mean, maybe, yeah. (laughs) And also, well, and and before before we settled on the topic of of Mary Mary today, we were talking briefly about Hillsong stuff. You said that you had like somewhat of a an affection for the Hillsong music. Oh, I fucking love Hillsong. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I love Hillsong. So I experienced Hillsong when I would like end up at church with like white friends, and they were just like, "Damn, this Hillsong stuff." And I was like, "Okay." I- <laughs> but I <laughs> but I really got into Hillsong when some of the band at my church would like black some of that shit up and like they would like take these Hillsong songs and give it a little soul and give oh it a little goodness. spark I thought that was and, nice. they w- and like they would have like Sister Hazel and Sister Sharon singing the lead and you'd be like yeah take me to church I love that <laughs> and like I'm trying to think and this one might not have been directly Hillsong but it was like in the vein of Hillsong spirituality and that sound um what was the one it might not have been Hillsong but it was of that ilk um 
You are the air I breathe. Was that Hillsong? You something? are the air I breathe. That one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's not a Hillsong song, but it was like of that vein. I, like I think breathy. it is a Hillsong song. You think it is? Okay. Or it might be. It was be, very like. It, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That's them for sure. Okay. So like this song is like very much like light, breathy, white Christian rock. But when we did You Are the Air I Breathe, like by the end of it, there's some demons being cast out. Everyone is <laughs> hollering. Everyone's like, yeah. And you're like, oh my yeah, God. that's my kind of hill song. Turn it up. <laughs> oh, so you're talking like 90s core hill song. You're talking like maybe shout to the Lord stuff. Not, not necessarily uh-huh. ocean stuff. Yeah, I'm talking uh, back in the okay, day. Okay, darling, check. Go- Potter's hand, get at me. Things of that <laughs> yes, nature. Okay. Yes. And they would just black that stuff up. And I was like, and, and so like, I think more about it. And I think that like, there are lots, like this is not a new phenomenon. Like when I think about some of the R&B that I mo- love most from like the 60s, it was when like quote unquote black music and quote unquote black uh, white music like came together. Like I think of everything that Dionne Warwick did with Burt Bacharach. That's some of the best R&B of the 60s. Oh, yeah. And you, it worked because it was people from two different worlds coming together. Or like mm. every time Aretha Franklin covered some white guy's rock song and made it better. It's Aretha just like, Franklin's cover that. of Eleanor Rigby where she starts it by just saying, <laughs> I'm Eleanor Rigby is incredible. One of my favorite covers ever. Or Bridge Over Troubled Water, another great. Yes, exactly. And so like, I was always like, as someone who just like looks at race critically, I was, I, I, I still think fondly about the ways in which like some music, just by the way it sounds, represents like it rep it, it, it is like a musical uh, it, it's a musical representation of like racial harmony and healing and like when i think back on hillsong and the way that my church sang hillsong i was like this is the body of christ that christ intended all of us coming together <laughs> my <goodness>. jamming <laughs> uh well don't let hillsong get a hold of this audio you know because they will <laughs> run with it and it will become <laughs> central to their church <laughs> npr sam sanders says hillsong is unimpeachably hillsong. good yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's got like that stock image of like a white hand and a black hand. Like this is basically yeah. what Hillsong is. That's what Hillsong is. The world needs it. Yes. So how did how did Mary Mary come into your life? What 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 part did that fill in your life? I remember. So like when that first album came out and that first single came out, it was like, you know, there was always this tension with like any black gospel singer, like how close to secular R&B could you get without getting in trouble? Mm-hmm. And we would hear growing up, like, you know, some of the songs that were deemed Christian really weren't Christian enough. And there'd be sermons that we would hear over the pulpit lambasting Christian songs that didn't say Jesus. They were like, that's not really Christian. They're trying to be crossover. You can't do it. You need Jesus. And I remember when Mary Mary came out with that first album, even the old heads in the church liked them because I think in spite of the sound of their album and their and their whole vibe being pretty secular, it sounded like top 40 R&B radio, they could still belt like old school church singers. And so that kind of let people be like, okay, they still got it. I get it. They can holler. Yeah. That's still something. And I remember when that album came out, I remember saying, they're great. I love them. And I remember thinking, oh, they feel a lot like Brandy. So I was obsessed with Brandy, and I think her 
second or third, second and third solo albums were like the pinnacle of like late nineties R and B. Oh yeah. And she, her, her 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 producer during that time was Rodney Jerkins, and Rodney Jerkins worked on some of the songs from Mary Mary's first album. Oh wow. And their lead producer was this other guy. Uh, Warren Campbell or something, who was good friends with Rodney Jerkins. So the whole first two Mary Mary albums sounded like a gospel brandy album, which I loved, you know? Um, but it was funny because like, they were towing this line all the time. You know, we can talk about the lead single Shackles forever, but <laughs> if you go to the album, there are these really interesting juxtapositions. So I actually took notes this morning while I was playing the album. Wow, it. great. He did the but work. I did the work. And so, like, there's this one song early on the album called, uh, it's called I Sings. Mm -hmm. And it sounds mm -hmm. like a Faith Evans song. It has this bass line that feels like her song all night long. And it sounds like a song that you would hear in the nightclub. And they never really say Jesus in the song. And it just feels like a song made for a club. And then the next song after that is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, okay, they're really like towing the line. They're trying really hard to appeal to both sex. Uh, and they kind of did it. But like, it just underscored this constant struggle that Christian artists trying to make R&B had to go through back then. Like, there was this other song called Be Happy that reads like a love ballad and sounds like a love ballad and they never actually say the word Jesus, but yet they're singing lyrics like, I found someone who can love me forever. And it's like, that's interesting. Like, it was just strange. But that yeah. was that line you had to toe back then. And I still wonder why we can't have artists make an album where like half of it's about like secular stuff and like sex and drugs and the other half is about God because like that's how people actually are. Right. Anyways, yes. Mary Mary couldn't do that and they towed that line well, which I appreciate it. They did. I do love how on that song, I Sings, it is the, wait, I, I do want to play just like a little bit of it. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it has a feature by the one and only BBJ, uh, uh -huh. a, a, a singular sound that definitely doesn't at all sound like any other famous rapper that you might have heard of. <laughs> play a little bit of it. And then uh, there's a great part of the music video too. Why does he sound like Notorious B.I.G.? Exactly. Like, seriously, they were trying so hard to let you not know that this is Christian music. Baby! Gosh. <laughs> I found some article of his, I think off of his Wikipedia page that was him like, yeah, geez, people say I sound like him a lot. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. <laughs> people forget, like, there's actually a feature on this album. They have a song with Destiny's Child. They yes. do. Walking yes. the line. They were that walking the line. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Destiny's Child was like. I feel like they were open about being all Christians, right? At yeah, least for like yeah. a yeah, while. Yeah, so in their it, early career. it really wasn't that crazy at the time in yeah. 2000. It's it's funny to think that this like kind of esoteric album has a, a small feature <laughs> from a group, yeah, with one of the most famous artists alive now. But yeah. yes, yes. yeah, yeah, that part of it's funny. That song I sings, uh, BBJ does say, "From the Brooklyn Bridge to the Woods of Holly, I roll like Tonto, Honcho, Kimosabi, but it's still here." <gasps> No doubt. I'm thankful, Mommy. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh my god! Oh. And there is a there's a lyric later where he says, "Big bro, J A Y, you know I stay fly with my husky self." Mustard seed faith manifests mustard seed wealth, which is like ah! a perfect encapsulation of prosperity gospel. There you go. Politics. Mm-hmm. This album has it all. This album has it all. <laughs> it truly it has, has something for everyone. And I did. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share my screen with you both because I did want to show you um, in the music video. Sam, you were talking about. You heard the Brandy influence. Brandy is in the music video. Oh my God! <laughs> she is. She yes. is just straight up yes. on the couch like an extra in the music oh video for like what? three seconds. <laughs> yes. So the thing about Brandy, people never give her enough respect. She was one of the best voices of like the era of peak R, like peak R and B. And I think her album Full Moon is like one of the most fully formed, fully realized, uh, like versions of like late '90s R and B ever Whoa. that existed ever. Dang. And it was produced by Rodney Jerkins, who made a lot of the Mary Mary album. And they were all friends, and you know Warren Campbell and all of them. They all ran together, and it, like I felt. Brandy vibes in that early Mary Mary stuff, which I liked. Oh, fully, yes. yeah. Seriously, yeah. go back and play Full Moon. It holds up. It's a perfect album. We're gonna we'll do it next week for a whole episode. Uh, maybe it's Christian. <laughs> I don't know. Then we're gonna do another episode about Moesha and its influence on the UPN lineup. We're gonna do it all. Exactly. We're going to exactly. have to talk about the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella because that's what I think of when I think of Brandy too. Impossible. Our definitive fairy godmother. Oh, it's so good. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, but have th- we talked about shackles yet? No, we have not. No, we can Ugh. play a little bit of that. Which, if you watch the music video, it's about rent eviction. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Timely for the moment. Yes. It's a very catchy song. But also, in this song, they don't ever say Jesus. Right? Nope. They don't. They wanted crossovers. I just assumed they did. No, Google the lyrics. They're not saying Jesus. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna share my screen and uh, show you <laughs> part of the music video where a woman uh, unfortunately lives in a city where there's not a rent freeze uh, because of the pandemic. Here we go. <laughs> Eviction. Oh my God. It's real. It is real. And the butterfly comes, what? and that's and that's the butterfly God comes the and says, "I'm your landlord now, honey." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rent is a thousand kisses. No, there's actually there's a nice there's a nice ending. Yeah, let's look at it. Someone knocks. It's just. A hat, oh, a hat full money. of money, stuffed with cash, uh, is is the answer to that that woman's uh, problems. That's amazing. I also love how they have all these dancers, but they can't like actually choreograph it because that would be too secular. So everyone's kind of <laughs> dancing, but there's no like moves because that would be too much. That would be yeah. Too not much. even the sisters; they weren't dancing, right? Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I mean, not choreographed, but that that wow, that really is throwing me that Jesus isn't it. I guess because the whole chorus is i'm going to praise you which i think implies yeah. like it's going to be god it implies jesus or uh, yeah or you're with or like a, paid your rent. a lunatic man wait you think it's about praising a landlord for letting you stay in your place yeah 
Yeah, yeah. You know, also, it could what I love be. about oh, good. Yeah, what I love about this song "Shackles" is that like the verses are short, and the chorus is actually short, and the bridge is short, and so in the song, by around two minutes and fifteen seconds, they've kind of sung the whole song, mm-hmm. and so then they just have to sing the chorus over and over and over, and these two sisters are just trying to ad lib to keep you interested, and like by the end, they're just like. Yelling! Yelling! They're just like, please keep paying attention to us for this song. We must get this song to 315 to make it long enough for the radio. Please stay with us. Uh, Okay, can I be honest? I I felt like the whole album was like that in some ways, too. (laughs) And I know part of it is just like the genre, but it did... um, I did want them to like break the formula here and there of like the verse is the chorus is introduced... And then we do that, and then they just riff like crazy for the last minute of every Here we single go song. Again. Every song. Yeah. Another round. It's happening yeah. again. Yeah. Yes, thankful oh, was like they got that. that. Yes. Oh yeah, they're doing runs. Most Ooh. of them are like <laughs> But yeah. you know what's crazy? So like me and my friends in church, we were obsessed with Mary Mary and that album. And when their second album came out, uh, I think it was called Incredible or whatever, we compared the songs from each album. They kind of made the same album twice. Like the flow of the songs, the pacing of the songs, the topic and tone of each song. If you there's a song called Chains on the next one instead of (laughs) Shackles. There's one called Grateful instead of Handcuffs. (laughs) But they like had a formula for a while. I remember that. How many how many views do you think the Shackles video has? The music video. Forty seven million. That's a totally random guess. Caroline, what do you say? Just give me oh, a guess real uh, quick. Oh, okay. The, I'm going to say 60 million. That's 23 million. Oh. oh. I think it's better. You think that's too... America needs to draw closer to God. Too few? Come on. <laughs> I think for a song this that came out... This nation has fallen away oh my God. from its yes. founding roots. Yes. For a song that came out 20 years ago, I feel like that's pretty good. That's I amazing. don't know. amazing. No, yeah. yeah. I, 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 think, I think Sam's estimation really threw me off. <laughs> yeah, that is like an insane number for a 90s song. Oh, I think um, the test is to check the views three weeks after this episode has been out to see if we mm, give them a bump. The old GCF Give them bump. the old hundred view bump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give you enough, enough views to get like a Squarespace sponsorship deal for like three <laughs> more weeks, but not six uh, more yeah. weeks. It's like, <laughs> edge it out cash. perhaps. Uh, what were some other uh, some other standout tracks for both of you? Uh, Sam mentioned uh, "Be Happy," which I just wrote down. It sounds like the underwater level of a video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like this one. I thought it was so smooth. Oh yeah, but also like a, a slow jam R and B love song, and you don't know who they're talking about. Oh, absolutely. Reminds me of Out of Eden. I think that's also why I like it. <laughs> Out of Eden is. Sam, did you ever listen to Out of Eden? Which one were they? I remember them. They were like a little group, right? The, the girl yeah. trio, yeah. They were not yeah. Destinies, them. I think. <laughs> that was like the only Christian band that I like listened to when I was a kid uh, that I liked because uh-huh. they came through our like Michigan church for some reason. But nice. uh but apparently they don't hold up. But, you know, there's uh, there's debate on that issue. You know, there's a lot of discourse. It rages on Reddit to this day. It rages, <laughs> rages. <laughs> Dividing families. I liked their song on the album, the last song where they cover Wade in the Water and they just go to church. Like, yes. it was one of the songs in the album where I'm like, oh, they're finally just doing church. 
Thanks, yeah, ladies. I kind of wanted more of this too because it was also like a, lo- a lot more like rock and roll. It felt like mm-hmm. than a lot of the other songs too. Yeah, definitely in their looser and like they weren't trying yeah. to placate two bases. Yeah, yeah, and a mashup that makes sense in in that respect because there is yeah. still like contemporary arrangement on a tradition. Yeah. And by the end, because Mary Mary, they're just hollering. They're just like, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, by the well, end, let me skip to I the end. I lo- yeah, yeah. Yep. I bet you can figure out like what their highest note is, and that's probably like the one they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, every it's time. It's amazing, but it is, yeah, it's up there yeah. every time. Yeah. Did we mention oh, yeah. that they're they're actually sisters? They are sisters. Yes. They are actually yes. sisters. They came much like one the, of them married the producer. Yeah, the Campbell guy. But they both both yes. married Campbells, which is weird. Oh, so their last name is both Campbell now. Which is interesting. That's their married name. Very yeah. Co- yeah. 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 Coincidence? Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> Mary, Mary, Campbell, Campbell. Um, the one of the songs I was most struck by, uh, I think, because of the uh, elongated instrumental outro, was. Still My Child, which is kind of a ballad about a bunch of messed up people uh, who have crappy lives <laughs> and are wondering if, <laughs> if they're still God's child. Although, Sam, I wonder if you'll hear this. The intro sounds like El Shaddai by Amy Grant, doesn't it? Oh, Listen to it again. And Right? <laughs> Well, it's also that keyboard. Like, that was the 90s keyboard sound. Mm-hmm. Like, every song had that keyboard in it for a while. Totally. I love it. Take me back. He had many of bad habits. What did you like about this he song, Kevin? I just like hearing about a guy with bad habits. As a guy with bad <laughs> habits, I see myself reflected in the music. <laughs> I was going to say, when I like, the first verse, I was like, oh, is this our first, like, fallen man song? You know, where it's like there's a there's like a lot there's like a trope of songs where it's about like some general woman out there who's mm-hmm. struggling with life or is slutty or whatever you think that about her and then God comes and saves her. And so I thought this was gonna be one where it's like there's a, a man, man playing too many video games. There's a boy who locks himself in his bathroom. His mother doesn't know what he's doing in there. Stealing a it's CD. It's me. It's me. So relatable. This is our nation. This is it. <laughs> but then the second verse goes to some other ladies. So then I was like, oh, all right. Also, I did want to play uh, a little bit of the song One Minute because it's one of the best, most mathematically pleasing choruses I've ever heard in my life. Okay. Do it. I also think this is a God or Boyfriend song. Oh, yeah. I know it now that I was such a fool to turn back on you. God. You were giving me everything. (laughs) I let you down and know that's true. Now I've come to realize that there, there are no happy days because It adds up. It adds up the thing. It'll take yes. any more to say <laughs> you're the one. 
I think and you could sing this to Jesus or your boyfriend. Oh, yeah. sure. Although, good grief, don't we all love talking to our Heavenly Father or our significant other like you're trying to sell them a timeshare? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. One minute of your just time. Just one minute of your time. I'm going to convince you this is a terrific investment. You're not going to regret it. Yeah, it does imply yeah. like God is so busy. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, the, yeah. that's the thing I was struck by in this metaphor, and I don't know if any of us had this for all of our issues growing up. I don't know if any of us had this perception or issue with God of like, oh, he's just busy. He won't listen to me. He's busy. I was always under the impression that he was like waiting for my call. Yeah. Like, when Sam gonna call? When Sam gonna call? Sam, you better call. Like, the proper evangelical <laughs> yeah. view of of God is that he is thirsty. He's home alone on a Friday night. He's mm-hmm. waiting for that phone to buzz. Waiting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, no, tell me more about your brother. Like again, I, I can't get enough. Yeah. You know. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear all about <laughs> I gotta it. Hear it. I wasn't yeah. doing anything. No, go ahead. No, no, it's no, fine. No, tell no, me. No. The wa- no. No wars. I don't care. <laughs> also, one minute. Has, I don't do those. They, it has kind of this arrangement that I think is uh, typical of a few songs on the album, where it does. Uh, I think for a lot of us who grew up in a particular time, the R&B sound sounds like it's the end credit song for a blockbuster movie where it's like Mm -hmm. R. Kelly doing I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah. It's very Casey and Mm JoJo-esque. Yeah. Or R. Kelly doing Gotham City at the end of Batman. Uh (laughs) Yes. Yeah, just R. Kelly songs, but uh, R&B songs were were quite the thing for end credits for a particular time in cinema. Yes. I miss that time. Oh, those are the days. I don't miss R. Kelly, but I do miss that time. Well, yeah, I don't miss R. Kelly. I miss, I miss, I miss the heyday of R and B. Absolutely. Because now these rappers today, I can't tell what they're saying. I'm so old. I'm like, uh, uh, little is that true? That I don't know what they're saying. Well, I, have you tried "Jesus Is King" by Kanye West? He, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, that guy. I feel like Our God's like, actually, Kanye, artist. stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> a Kirk Franklin collaborator, a, a, a longtime partner, I guess, at this point. Uh, yeah. Have you yes. talked to anyone else, by the way, in CCM besides Kirk Franklin? Have you talked to any other artists that are involved in this world through your work? No, really just him. Because when we've done like music interviews, yeah, it's been a lot of secular artists when we do music stuff. Uh, but I should talk to more because he was just, uh, he was a delight. Was I he great? Man. He was so great. And he's just a warm soul. He's Literally. a Texas boy too. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Dallas. Yeah. So Dallas. Not, not I, I just like him. I feel like he has to hold back so many good stories he could tell, you know, oh that like he's yeah. way more like cool than he can let on. But mm-hmm. he's also just like amazing. And he's Kirk Franklin. Yeah. 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 No, he's Ugh. the best. Yeah. He's yeah, between two worlds. Any other songs we want to talk about on the album before we might give it a whole rating? I want to talk about Good to Me. Good to Me. Okay. This is the feature with Destiny's Child. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Beyonce doing Beyonce. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Is that I her? I can do more tricks than you. Yeah. <laughs> See, I always felt like this song wasn't finished. This is a like cover. Half a chorus. It's a cover of a Curtis Mayfield song, I think. Really good to me. Oh. Yeah, yeah, or like a little rewrite of it. Uh huh. 
Huh. I wanted the chorus to do more. Autobiographical details about my life. You know it all. This much money. Yeah, that, that's the thing that I kind of enjoyed about it. Of like the, I think this is actually a genuine humble brag too. Of being like, mm-hmm. I used to, have to share everything. I'm rich now. I don't share a damn thing now. But like, I didn't. I it wasn't me. You know, it was all God. Like, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like detailing the things that you have now. It's just very funny. Oh, yeah. we gotta. Figure it was luxury rap. Yeah, yeah, luxury it's rap. fully. Yeah, it's like prosperity rap. We gotta figure out like a good term, Caroline, for like. You're bragging, but you still say glory to God for it. Oh, yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's not by my power, it's through his. Well, that's like every testimony ever. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, and then I crushed this, and I was amazing at this, and then uh-huh. I aced this, and that's the Lord. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know what I was attracted? You know, I didn't play this part. I'm going to I'm gonna boomerang back to Still My Child because I found this to be the most delightful lyric on the album okay. uh, because yeah. it was a metaphor that, you know, maybe a lot of people are going through and, and fully feel. Uh, here, I'm going to play this line for you guys. I know the answer to your question. Yes, the Father still loves you. Sometimes when you have children, you don't always like what they oh. do. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> it's that stuck true. Out to me too, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Man, I don't like oh this. <laughs> I don't like my kids. I fucking hate my kids. We need and that frozen is basic. <laughs> you need to move on now. <laughs> we need to normalize not only Christian and gospel singers, but singers of all ilk hating their children and, <laughs> and not wanting to spend time. I don't like it. It would what make they for do. great lyrics. I would love to have aging rappers make albums now about their shit kids. Would that be fun? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, so relatable. we're encountering like this will be really the because of the newness of the genre. We're encountering the first generation of like, what does a rapper look like in their late 50s? Yeah, yeah. like Jay Z's yeah. in his 50s, right? I think he's yeah. like one of the I want Jay Z to make like a lemonade level album about the kids, just <laughs> yeah. like gossip and drama of the kids. I hate driving I to soccer like, practice. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, I do feel like Kanye's like music is a lot about his kids now, too. Oh yeah, he's full oh, yeah. on nepotism. Now. Yay, yay! Was there was a fully as a father of daughters anthem on on that mm-hmm. album? Like truly, mm-hmm. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. Um. Well, I think maybe it's time to uh, give our final judgments on the album, and and perhaps rate it. Uh, the way this works, Sam, is that we give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a side thumb. Thumbs up is a holy toast. This is when we send the album to heaven and we say, Thumbs down (laughs) is a holy roast. And that's when we say to the album, No, 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 no. (laughs) Do you know that song, Sam? That's the Winans. (laughs) Yes. Will I ever leave you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. in Afghanistan. <laughs> my favorite uh international crisis gospel song yes, yes. Or, i also love how like the widen's whole catalog like you could play widen's music for three days straight because all of them have made like seventeen thousand albums yes. it's amazing there's well, so I many of thinking, them oh, it's like law and order something i was gonna say about <laughs> <laughs> about that is i feel like 
Uh, the R and B gospel category has just like so many Von Trapp families of just yes. like musicians, and then extended families of those musicians, and then sibling groups, and then like hodgepodge of all of those, and then their parents were like stars before them. Like it's a huge part of all yes. of this industry. Yeah. Well, my theory is this that that family approach to music works because if you're a big family with a bunch of kids, you know that in any church you go to, there's built-in childcare. There are women or men there that will watch your kid. Mm-hmm. Like it is the easiest thing to do if you have a bunch of kids. That's a Take huge element of it. Yeah, total village. Which you know, <laughs> I I really like that part of the church and that element of it, yeah, and especially of like as someone who, when it was safe to, did like volunteer doing childcare stuff. It was great for single people or childless people to have like exposure to that sort of thing and then have to like you know for one day out of the week build up like the patience for that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then it was great to to like give people a break (laughs) legitimately like for free um yeah yeah. it's a good way to socialize adults yeah exactly (laughs) truly 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 (laughs) yeah oh and then our uh, it's getting really dark in my room no it's great uh our side thumb we send it to purgatory which we call the space between <laughs> oh man, those are good. Those are good music posts. I I, I hope so. Posts. Yeah, they come from yeah. opposite spectrums. <laughs> you uh-huh. go from the wine yes. to Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. That is a that is a jump. Yes. <laughs> we'll start as usual with Caroline. Um, man, I feel conflicted because uh, this album didn't like totally pop for me. I'm sorry again. I felt like the the structure. Maybe this isn't my favorite. It was repetitive. But Shackles is on this album. So therefore, holy toast. <laughs> this is like holy when you toast. see Up and you don't remember anything except for the first five minutes of <laughs> yes. Up. It's yes. like, it's I feel. think there was a bird, a Huge dog flew fan. a plane, but those first five uh-huh. minutes. <laughs> first five minutes. Yes. All right. Then we turn to Sam. So I'm going to give it the, the in the middle one. Oh, the space because between. I want everyone to go listen to their second album, Incredible, which is like twice as good. Their Whoa. second album was great. Yes. Oh. So I'm not going to give this one the most full-throated endorsement because I want people to go back to the Mary Mary mm. Back catalog and check out their 2002 album called Incredible. Oh, dang. Oh, we screwed up Should by not doing that. that one. Whoops. <laughs> no, this one is the one that, no, this, this one has this more has fodder to, to like chew on. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think This so, has more probably. to chew on. Yes, yes. I know. It's hard. It's easier. It's more fun to give a pan than to have a good review where it's like, I like this part again. I have Yeah, that. yeah. Um, I'll, I'm going to give it a, a holy toast. It wasn't that hard for me to, to arrive okay. there as a conclusion. Okay. I. <laughs> there you go. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The Shackles element does make it sort of like an unimpeachable thing for me, but I love Thankful. I love I Sings. I love. I got it in one minute and still my child. I, th- I and especially the closer, okay. wait in the water. So, so wait in the water is good. Leave wait them in the wanting more. Wait in the water is uh, great. Yeah. So you can vote for it yourself, listener. Go to at Christian Fun Pod. We'll put up a poll, and you can get out there and Pokemon go to the polls. Ballers. <laughs> now on the NPR Politics podcast, did you ever have drops like that? <laughs> No. And if no, not, don't you think that was a legend. mistake? <laughs> to not do that in yeah. 2016, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> to not do that is the equivalent of what Jimmy Fallon did when he did this to our president's oh, little Trump's head. head. <laughs> oh, my God. You're right. You're right. All right. Well, we're, we're dimming the lights here. We're lighting the candles. 
and we're taking it to a more worshipful, more prayerful space. Uh, and Sam, we're not here to promote ourselves and seek the glory of man. Uh, we're here to lift our social media handles up, to lift our projects up to the Lord, and to lift uh-huh. up what we might be enjoying in culture right now. And we'll start uh-huh. with Caroline. Okay. Uh, you can lift up my lack of projects to the Lord at Caroline's Farts on any of my social media. Um, and uh, I actually don't have something to lift up, but there is a thing I wanted to say about Mary Mary, and that'll be my mm-hmm. plug. Do you guys think for Halloween they were scary scary? <laughs> this one. I do. I like that. I do. I like that. I would say yes. Yeah, and okay. they, they had the chains rattling like a ghost. They're shackles. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, they did. Yes, kind they of did. a uh yeah. I uh, love and also, ghosts. do you think they you did Mary Mary for Christmas, but other <laughs> With spelling of two Mary R's? Mary? Yes, I yeah, think yeah, they okay. did. Ah, all right, that's Mary all I Mary. To know. I okay. get it. I get it. I have to respect the move to take time for that. <laughs> <laughs> to say no. It didn't come up. This is Caroline's version of Nevertheless, it. She Persisted. <laughs> I'm leaning in forever. Lean all the way I in and it. fall over. <laughs> oh, all right, we, we turn it to Sam. Where can people find okay. you? Uh, where, what do you have to lift up? Yeah, I am at Sam Sanders, S-A-M-S-A-N-D-E-R-S. And right now, the pop culture I'm enjoying most. Michaela Cole's show, I May Destroy You, is damn near perfect. It's just so good. And it's a show that shouldn't work, but it does. It is a drama about consent and rape that makes you laugh in many moments. It is, um, it's just weird and quirky and strange and beautiful. And there's a, it's funny. So I interviewed her about a year ago before this show came out. We were talking about chewing gum and this other show she did, Black Earth Rising. We talked a lot about her faith. She was a born-again Christian for a long time, and it influences her work a lot. And you'll see little nods to it in every show she does. For instance, in the premiere of I May Destroy You, the first episode, There's a scene in a bar where everyone gets way too wasted and is high on God knows what, and she's trashed out of her mind, and she's stumbling out of the bar. And instead of hearing EDM music or loud club music, she plays a gospel song with the gospel choir as you see her drunk stumble out of the bar. And it was just weirdly, strangely transcendent. Uh, I cannot recommend the show enough. It's really good, and she's great. I have to second that also. That's my big <laughs> contribution. Oh, I was going to ask you off air, though, but I'll ask you on air. What do you, I feel like she is like this rolling ball of momentum right now. Like, what do you think will be the next thing that she does? And like, where do you see her going? You know, at a certain point, so she's making shows about her life. Like, Chewing Gum was about her life. This show was about her life. At a certain point in a career like that, you start writing about something else and I don't know when that comes for her like I don't know if she's written all that she's going to write about her life I would love to see her do a Michaela Cole on like some old tropes like what would Michaela Cole do with the structure of a rom-com you know so like I'm loving all of this autobiographical content from her but I would also love to see how she could just fuck up the paradigm in some other genres because she's just such an incredible writer and actress. Like, I want to see her take on 
the parody film and the rom-com and the, like, old British drama and, like, let her do all of the things because she's just got the mind for it. So I, I love that she is living in a space now where the content comes from her life. But at some point, I would be interested to see what happens when she writes about other stuff, too. But whatever yeah. she does, I'll eat it up. And especially with her trajectory, she's going to run out of life. You can't make a yeah. TV show she's about making a critically acclaimed TV. Like, she needs another 10 years. <laughs> yeah, of course. Exactly. So, no, that's, exactly. that's probably a good path forward for her. Um, yeah. Well, you yeah. can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter everywhere. And I'll lift up a podcast I've enjoyed for a long time. It's called It's Been a Minute with Sam oh. Sanders. What, he's, you know, for those who may not know, Sam Sanders is a terrific interviewer, terrific host. His enthusiasm <laughs> is infectious. He makes every conversation wow. feel natural, energetic, but inevitable, while also surprising oh at the God. same time. So listen to that Thank show. Thank you so much. Of course. I'm framing that. I'm going to print that out and frame it. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. It's like a there's like it's a like a poll quote like on a poster where it's like actual <laughs> news outlets and it's like some guy said <laughs> Jim T. Porter from Kingwood, Texas. <laughs> native. You can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. You can go to patreon.com slash goodchristianfun for more good Christian fun. And you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And every review you leave, we donate a dollar to charity. And this month's charity continues to be Black Lives Matter. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, friend. What a fun this time. Delightful. This was the best. Felt like church. So it felt, I hope it I felt like it. church. Yeah. I uh, hope it didn't yeah. feel as long as church did. <laughs> 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 so sweaty. This yeah. was and there's nothing left Thank to say so except for in all pods people said Amen. Sam. Yes. Mary Mary style. <laughs> Sam, what is a Mary Mary song or any any song, any CCM song or gospel song that you would like us to go out on? Oh, I'm going to have you guys go out on the song that Michaela Cole plays in her show as she drunk stumbles out of a bar. Perfect. Uh, and I'm going to find it for you. Bear with me one second. Just because it's like, okay, when, when you hear this song and you imagine this song being set to a drunk stumble in a bar, you're going to be like, whoa, it's crazy. And the song is called It's Gonna Rain by Reverend Milton Brunson, B-R-U-N-S-O-N. Milton Brunson and the Thompson Community Singers. All righty. We're going to go out on that song. Here it is. And so you're hearing this while she's knocking over drinks. Beautiful. It's such a strange juxtaposition. But if you, the listener out there in 2020, are thinking about going into a bar, I want you to hear this song in your head. <laughs> yes. Do it. And don't drink too much. Don't drink too much. Because God is watching. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Thank y'all. Oh, Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.